would think by now I would know never to call a government agency of any kind, even a state or local agency, before I get ready to record this radio program. I don't know what's wrong with government these days. They don't seem very responsive to citizens' needs. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome to the Monday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Well, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the phone call I just had a few minutes before sitting down before this microphone. I should know better. But I thought, hey, I'm calling a local government in a small county to get a simple answer to what should be a very simple question. And I was thoroughly amazed that I couldn't get a straight answer. I mean, a really simple question. And the answer always was when I asked, let me just tell you what it was, real brief. We sold our home in Georgia and I just got a tax bill in the mail. Well, we sold the home, so why am I getting a tax bill? And the taxes were paid in advance, of course. You think they will chase you a year after the fact? No. So I called and I said, who's supposed to pay this? And she wouldn't answer the question. We just mailed the bill to whoever owned the property on January 1st. I said, okay, so who pays the bill? It's Georgia law. We just mailed the bill to the person and she wouldn't answer the question in Little Rabin County. And I said, that's got to be one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. I don't own it. I have no interest in it. Why am I being treated like I'm still liable for taxes? And there's no clarification on the bill. And not a straight answer to be had. So I quickly penned an email to my state legislature people in both the upper and lower chambers asking who came up with this crazy idea? Because, you know, I was thinking, I've owned I've owned homes in Georgia in the past, and I've never had this happen. I never had a bill come to me after I had ceased to own a home, wanting tax money. Never happened. And now I want to know why it's happening now. I think it's a systematic problem increasingly evident in government circles. It's it's not my responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. They said it. We do it. We we just go by the rules and nobody nobody can cut to the chase and find common sense any longer. And it used to be a real problem decades ago at the federal government level. Now you sometimes you could get a congressman to respond because he needs your vote. The senator of your state at the federal level could care less about your problems because they're really on the national stage. So your problem in your local town is not really an issue except once every six years during election time. Outside of that, you're you're ignored. Congressmen, about every year become, every other year are responsive to your need. But increasingly, we're finding it is becoming systematic at the state level and even at the local level. Now, granted, a city like New York, a city like Chicago, a city like Los Angeles, Dallas, Texas, any big city you can think of, it's hard to fight City Hall because you have so many layers of bureaucracy that entrench themselves 
are well-financed and impossible to remove. I mean, many people have run for mayor trying to clean up a city, and they find it's the most difficult job on the face of the earth because those that work in those governments are so well-entrenched and they are so well-protected. There's not much you can do. We know that's true at the federal level. It's true at most state levels. And now it's becoming that way in larger counties where administrations and the entrenched bureaucracy, they really control the program. And that doesn't bode well for a representative form of government like the United States to have this class of people that become our rulers and not those that are there to serve us. And I think the longer that somebody is in government, the more entitled they begin to believe they are and how important they believe they are and how little your needs are except if they need your vote. And that's just a sad state of where we are today. Now, I didn't want to spend any time on my little incident, so I'm going to push that aside. I'm done. But I'm sure you could share stories of your own with me that are equally as, well, stupid. That's the only word I can can find. Now, over the weekend, for those that heard the weekend edition of this radio program, I shared something on that program. and, And I want to use it a little bit for today and maybe tomorrow as kind of the theme for these two radio programs. As we look at the world... And we look at the world from a very distinct point of view. I shared a message on the second half of the weekend program. And I think I'm going to make it available to those that want it. I don't have any kind of a transcript. I think I can create a transcript of the message that I had preached, oh, I don't know, about uh, six years ago. And it was based upon the text of Jeremiah 4, verse 22. Now, let me read it out of both the King James Version, then I'm going to give you a little bit of a newer version so it makes it a wee bit more clear. Jeremiah 4, 22, For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sodish children, and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Now, let's let's look at it from a little bit more clear English point of view and, and more like today's English. For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are foolish children and have no understanding. They are skillful at doing evil, but they do not know how to do good. Now, honestly, much of our society fits what the prophet Jeremiah was saying way back in the day kind of proves that there's nothing new under the sun. They have no understanding. They're skillful at doing evil, and we're seeing that even at governmental levels. People in government, politicians, now we've always known that politicians, many of them, shall we say, are loose with the truth. And honestly, many have no problem with standing before a group of people or on television or on the radio in an interview with a newspaper and just 
lying, knowing that every word they're saying is a lie, totally untrue, a misrepresentation of facts. And they're really skilled at it. I mean, this is an art form for many politicians today. Not all, but unfortunately, at least 50% or more or more are skilled in the art of deception. And that's a sad commentary. And it's not just in the United States. It's in Canada. It's in the United Kingdom. It's in Germany. It's in France. It's in Italy. It's in the entire European Union. It's in Australia. Pretty much any Western democracy today has been infected, has been infected with a cancer, a cancer of dishonesty, a cancer of deception, and increasingly is being controlled, operated, to serve an elite group of people. And you're just somebody that they can manipulate and funds whatever they want. Narratives over the past several years have been deceptive and lies. And they knew it when they said it. Now, I'm just going to give you a few examples, and I'm not going to get deeply into the topic per se. A little bit of information has come out that that takes us back to the year 2020. Between January 1st and the beginning of June, like the end of May. And how many of you remember that time? Yeah, the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't hear much about it. Everybody's life was going on as normal from Thanksgiving 2019 all the way well into January and into February. It was just a little background noise from China. Nobody was really paying attention to anything. And we watched on the news. We watched on the news. Governor Andy Cuomo, who was giving the stay-at-home orders to save the New York City and the New York State healthcare system from collapse. Remember that? Flatten the curve, stay at home, 14, 15 days to flatten the curve. We'll get it all taken care of. Just stay home 15 days, and then we'll get back to normal. We're going to flatten that curve and, and save our save our hospitals from being overwhelmed by sick people with the coronavirus. Do you remember that? And every intellectually, journalistically, moralistically, and spiritually bankrupt member of the news media that wanted to have their frightening headlines would try to find a hospital and make it look like it's overwhelmed, overrun, just covered up with people dying of the coronavirus. Stay at home, live in fear, go nowhere. Social distance. The virus might even go through a phone line. I mean, it was the most crazy stuff I'd ever heard. And the talking heads just kept perpetrating this fear and fear and fear. And so a freedom of information request has finally, after over two years, there's a a reply. It was delayed and delayed and they didn't have the information and they finally released some information out of New York City. 
the number of emergency room visits. So you go back to 2018 and 19, they're pretty consistent. They they just bounce up and down a little bit. No major, you know, ups and downs. It just shows how people live their lives and you can see it just, you know, fluctuate slightly. And so it held consistent the number of people coming into the emergency rooms held consistent in 2018, 19, and all the way into the first part of 2020. And then we get to that time, and I'm looking at this chart. I'm looking at the graph that shows this is obtained from a Freedom of Information Act from the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. And you can see the day that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo declares a COVID-19 disaster emergency and everybody needs to stay home because they're going to die. And the hospitals, we were told from that point on, I can remember this is, this is March of 2020. I was working in emergency management in a, in a county in a different state. And I'm watching all these press conferences on a daily basis because we're supposed to flatten the curve. We have to stop the spread. I can remember getting together every day at the emergency operations center as we went through our daily briefings and updates and had all the the stakeholder participants sharing their needs and their problems. Do we have enough, you know, personal protection equipment? Do we have enough of this? Uh, how about the hospital? Are you guys going to be overwhelmed? Are you going to be needing more room? I mean, in this county, we had a, a few hospitals. One was a massive multi-story building. And it was adjacent to the campus of a school that trained nurses and paramedics and pre-med. And we spent a lot of effort to take that college campus next to the hospital and convert it into additional hospital space for the the tons of people we were told would be crushing our hospitals in a matter of weeks. We leased refrigerated trucks and generators and, and obtained body bags for the thousands that were going to die in a matter of a few months. They were just going to collapse of corona. And, and so what, is this, what does this information show us? That every day after, after we started the two weeks to flatten the curve, the number of people going to the emergency room dropped by more than half and stayed that way for month after month after month after month. It stayed that way March, April, May, June, July going up a little bit in the fall. But it has never exceeded the numbers of 2018 and 2019. We were told our hospitals are going to be totally overwhelmed. They're going to be crushed with all the corona patients. All we saw on the news media, you remember this, I remember real well, between the dancing nurses you saw and the you know aspiring celebrity doctors 
elected officials and news media standing there talking about how many have died, how many are infected. And here we are, and like I say, all these selected images and videos from New York City hospitals scaring people across the country of how COVID is going to just destroy us. And we had to go to Zoom church, online church, maybe a parking lot, except in places in Kentucky where even the police wouldn't let you stay in your car with the windows rolled up in a parking lot because you're going to spread the virus and kill everybody. The stupidity. We were going to kill grandma. And actually, grandma was being killed by the very policies and protocols put in place to save the hospitals and slow the spread. And then the CDC protocols of treatment guaranteed miserable and horrible results for anybody in a long-term healthcare facility and even those that ended up in the hospital. Treatments that we knew and had seen for 60 years that worked with various types of viruses that become problematic in the respiratory system, we were told you could not use. You must do it this way. And those protocols, many doctors now estimate, and I believe it firmly. The more I read, I know a lot of people don't want to believe this. And I'm not trying to be some conspiracy theorist. If anything, I am very slow to jump on, quote, the thing of the day or the scary headline of the day or the super inside information uh, feed you need to see the video of today. I'm very skeptical. I'm very reserved. Because many of these sources that are out there are wrong about 30% of the time, but they never acknowledge where they made a mistake and they just keep plowing on. Some are even worse than that and some the headlines are totally bogus and fake. And yet so many people in this country that, that are trying to get information sadly rely on those sources. So here's what I do know. And I, and I want you to understand this. Looking at the, at the rates and the, I mean, this information, it's taken forever for it to drip out because they didn't want you to know. The hospitals were never overwhelmed. People died in nursing homes, in hospitals, And some doctors will say as many as 80% of those that died in those early days where those numbers just skyrocketed. Not, you know, they died needlessly. Effective treatments were always available. And doctors that dared try to use them were crushed. They were suspended, threatened with being fired, See, we've got a problem today. And the problem, as I see it, is what I call the uh, industrialized healthcare system. The industrialized healthcare system. And big pharmaceutical becoming so financially powerful and with such tentacles and influence in governments, not just in the United States, but in Canada, the entire European Union pretty much the entire Western world. And also the United Nations and the WHO and major world organizations. They they are so financially powerful 
but they're also so addicted to all the money that is flowing in at such rapid rates. And yet there, so many of those same people in the pharmaceutical industries have lied and lied and lied because their greed for more money is so powerful. Medicine has changed a lot in my lifetime. Let's be honest about that. I was thinking about this the other day. How much healthcare has changed in my lifetime? Now, I'm not saying everything about the healthcare system, and I'm talking primarily now at this point about here in the United States, has always been perfect. But I truly believe, even with the resources that we had, it was a better system 60 years ago than it is today. And here's how I figure it. Let's go back to 1964. We're talking, yeah, almost 60 years ago. 1964, Democrats had control of the presidency, the House, and the Senate under Lyndon Johnson. And a few things were added into the budget. One of them was Medicare and Medicaid. Now, on the surface, there's nothing essentially wrong with either one. Perhaps they shouldn't have done it. I mean, we can argue it, but it's here now. So what are you going to do after all these years? But what happened as a result over time? Now, remember, Medicare started as, as health care assistance for the elderly. When they're no longer working and they're on Social Security and limited retirements, and perhaps no longer on their health plan from their employer. And you have to understand where that came from. Where did this whole thing about health care for employers come from? They didn't used to provide that 100 years ago. That was unheard of. When government froze wages and prices at various times in our history, companies trying to compete for talented labor started offering benefits. Now listen to me carefully. Companies started offering benefits. Now, some companies had some pension and retirement plans where they took some money that would be given to you and they invested it so you'd have a little something when you retired. They were doing that even before Social Security. And many companies continued to do that. Even when I started working 50-some-odd years ago, some of the companies that I worked for, some of the bigger ones anyway, they offered you know a little bit of a retirement fund that you could invest in to supplement your Social Security when you finally hit age 65 or 67 or whatever the year is you're going to retire. But a lot of companies to compete during those times of wages and price freezes would start offering health care, health insurance. Initially, it started out as just catastrophic hospital insurance. What would you do if you had a bad accident and you ended up in the hospital? What would you do if you had a heart attack? What would you do if you had to be in the hospital because of some illness or, like I say, a misfortune? And so companies could get around this this limitation on wages by adding benefits. And that's where it all started. 
And so by the time you hit the 1970s, I worked for a number of companies, even very small companies, that offered me free Blue Cross Blue Shield coverage for myself and my family as an additional benefit on top of my wages. I was young, so I very rarely needed it. I mean, literally, I rarely needed it. But it was very commonplace, even into the 1980s, when I when I went to work for a, a manufacturer of broadcast equipment. I had a package that included a retirement, little retirement income. And I also had a health care package for me and my family. But see, as we got into the 1990s, some of those plans began to go up in price because government begins to, you know, they kind of have to play with things a little bit. You know, the government keeps trying to tweak it and fix it until they can get it thoroughly broken and destroyed. And even in the 1990s, under Bill Clinton, there was always this desire among many, to nationalize health care like they did in Canada, like they did in Great Britain, like they've done all over the world. We need government-run health care. Government becomes the decider of what surgeries you can and cannot get, how you should live or not live. And using excuses like you cannot eat these kind of foods because it's going to run up your health care bill to the taxpayers. Once again, taking away your personal rights and freedoms, saying it's for the better good, is always what despots have done over the centuries. It's for your own good. It is for your health. It is for your safety. They always have reasons. Yet in the 1960s and the 1970s, even into the 1980s, there wasn't all this clamoring about we have to fix the way you live and tell you what you can eat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Somehow the healthcare system was functioning. It really was. If I needed to see a doctor, I'm going to give you a few quick examples here. I know I'm running a little bit over and I'm going to try not to. I've got some other stuff I really want to get into and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm delayed here. I may have to get into some of this tomorrow. But these are things you need to understand and and why this is vital to you today, especially here in the United States. I can remember going back in the 1980s, even 1990s, if I needed to see a doctor for any reason or my wife, didn't matter. I could make a phone call and I could get my wife or myself in to see a doctor pretty quick. That's just how it was. If I had a problem and I knew it was going to take a specialist, I could contact the specialist. I could say, I've got this problem. Now, I never had any particular problem, but my wife did at the time. And I can remember calling a specialist to take care of a problem. And, you know, we were in, I think, the very next day. Try to get a doctor's appointment today. It's impossible. In just what I'm dealing with, with this health issue that I'm trying to get resolved, and and don't worry about it, I'm not. 
This all started back in July. And I had to go to the ER twice. I had to go to a, 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 one of those 24-hour clinics that don't do a whole lot of anything except bill your insurance. Yeah, I'm just being honest here. And it took weeks to get an appointment. I mean, not, not days. Like literally a month, almost two months to get an appointment. From July, it took me till way into, into September to get an appointment. Then I had another one, you know, a follow-up. And what they were trying to do, which I told them with me uh, doing that exploratory in an office is not going to work, but they wanted to do it anyway. So I had to wait weeks to get in only to have it fail. And now I'm scheduled again for the 1st of November. I mean, I want you to think about this. June, July, August, September, October. We're going on month number six for something that back in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and into the middle part of the 1990s at least, would have been resolved in the same week. Not six months. Because of our federal government interfering with the free marketplace, doctors that used to have a private practice as I used to remember them. They had their homes and an office, maybe their office in their home. They knew their patients literally on a first-name basis. They had a small staff. Sometimes their wife was their medical assistant or ran the office, scheduled the appointments. I know a few of those doctors still left, but they're few and far between. And one that I really liked a number of years ago, they have retired. And now if you want to get health care in that community, you have to go, go to one of these conglomerates. Even in small town Georgia, small town South Carolina, I can remember doctors that I knew, they're gone. And now you don't find a little doctor's office like you did. Now you got you got to go to this medical center where all the doctors work. And they're all employees of that medical center. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're no longer independent doctors that can think independently and work in your best interest. No. You have to abide by the corporate mentality. American socialists, like the Bernie Sanders of this world and others, and even going back to Bill Clinton, have been pushing for a nationalization of healthcare. And with this nationalization, small medical practices have disappeared and have been bought out or taken over by factory-like hospitals and outpatient clinics. And many insurers restrict physician availability with the forms and the amount of medical care dependent upon budgetary availability, slowly but surely, the state-controlled benefits are diminished. Obamacare, which guaranteed to make it affordable, remember they called it the Affordable Health Care Act, it was just like the Inflation Reduction Act, a big, fat lie. Obamacare in the United States have cost, have cost us a lot of money. 
healthcare costs have risen exponentially, far beyond inflation, to where yearly deductibles are never met and out-of-pocket costs are soaring. Now, the goal is total control of the healthcare industry. And COVID gave these elites the power and a giant leap forward on the destruction of the American healthcare system. Between the CDC, the FDA, and others, and government policy in collusion with these insurance companies, They've used Stasi and Gestapo-like tactics against physicians who have tried to properly treat their clients, and many have lost their entire careers. Senator Ron Johnson, back earlier this year, he exposed a lot of this. He's one of the few that are, that are sounding this alarm. And, and what we have like in states like California, the state government's going to decide what is truth and what is not true, what is medical science, what isn't, even though the science we saw with corona kept changing week by week, but we're supposed to ignore the changes. There has been sabotage of the American healthcare system, so only the powerful own it, make a profit from it, and control it. Most medical doctors coming on board today, most that are in medical schools, I, I, rem- I think I mentioned this last week, Minnesota, they're making pledges for climate change and all this other silliness and political baloney at their white coat ceremonies. They're not pledging to be giving you the best health care possible. They're pledging to worship the earth, the government, and the state-run apparatus. All in the name of gender equality, gender fluidity, and equity, and a bunch of other nonsense. And of course, white supremacy must be destroyed. This is not medicine. This is insanity. And now we had governments. I'm just going to finish out my last couple of moments here before the break with this. We were sold a bill of goods with a vaccine, obviously. A lot of people don't want to hear that. And people argue with me all the time. Let's go back a year, year and a half ago. Bob, how can you be against a vaccine that stops you from getting or spreading COVID? My answer was, it does not stop you from getting or spreading COVID. Okay, when time went by, and that was true, what I had said, Bob, how can you oppose a vaccine that will minimize your symptoms? I had somebody recently send me a graph trying to show how it saved people's lives from hospitalization and death. And I had to say, when was this done? They didn't know what the date is. Well, I did. It's an old graph. It's not current. And we do know one thing. For a very, very, very brief time in 2021, there was that, under the original strain of COVID, this very short-lived help in reducing hospitalizations and death. 
but that faded away quickly and, and you can keep getting boosters and you can't get that back. It doesn't work. In other words, the virus will morph faster now than we can ever catch up. And so any perceived benefit that was available for a matter of weeks in 2021 has disappeared. And even as a group and using percentages, not raw numbers, so it's more, so it's just equal and fair. Vaccinated people are getting sick and dying too. And in some places, the more they vaccinate, the the worse the results. Because apparently in some people, it's affecting their immune system. Enough of that. I'm not going to go any further. It just shows the evil that we have. And now we have Americans, uh, government spy, you know, you have our own, our own intelligence community spying on American citizens using their artificial intelligence. You have social media deciding what is true and false, even though they are ill-equipped to make such a decision. And this is the world in which we live today. And it's only going to get worse. I don't see it getting better anytime soon. When we get back on the other side, I want to get back to my original thought that comes from Jeremiah 4, you know, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22. And like I say, I'll give you the American Standard version here. For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are foolish children. They have no understanding. They are skilled at doing evil. But they do not know how to do good. That sounds like our reprobate government today. They are skilled at doing evil, but they do not know how to do good. And we're finding that increasingly over so much of our institutions, our universities and colleges, our public schools, and even many businesses. They are skilled at doing evil, but they do not know how to do good. I know I'm way over on this break. By the way, if you would like to, I'm going to find a way to post that message that I preached over the weekend that I shared. It's actually from six years ago. And I'll find a way to get it posted on the website, a little note there. And I I need to do that maybe today or tomorrow. Um, Show a way to get it downloaded if you'd like it. And I know a lot of you are not able to, are not able to, shall we say, uh, be online. And, and I understand that. You may live in a place where there's no internet or you choose not to have it. I get it. I understand it. And I respect that. But if you have a CD player, I'd be willing, and I think I've got some blank CDs here. They're not expensive if I need to get some. If you'd like a copy of that message. I need to find some labels and things. I, I'd be willing to to mail you a copy of that message that I shared. A matter of fact, I could probably send you just as easy the entire radio program that I had this past weekend. And just a little notation that beginning at about, you know, 30 minutes or 28 minutes is where the message starts. You can get that CD if you want it 
or download it. It'll be on the website by later today or sometime by Tuesday. Mailing address is Truth to Ponder. And our mailing address is 510, P.O. Box 510. P.O. Box 510, Chilhowie, Virginia. C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowie, Virginia. And the zip code is 24319. That's 24319. 24319. 24319. And if you can help us financially in this ministry, would you consider making a check payable to Ancient Word Radio? Ancient Word Radio, and just mail it to that address. Post Office Box 510. Chilhowie, Virginia, and the zip code is 24319. And we will be right back. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Beerman. The Kala and the House coming up. Shalom Alakam. This is Jonathan Khan, the nice Jewish boy. Your Jewish connection bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out. Receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, in the ancient Hebrew marriage, there's a real special thing that happens. The bridegroom comes to the house of the bride and proposes marriage. If the woman accepts, she's now the bride. In Hebrew, she's called the kala. Kala. The two are separated for about a year, but the kala still lives in her house, but she's no longer of it. She's the she's of the bridegroom now. Even though everything looks the same, the surroundings look the same, her circumstances look the same, everything is now different because she's not of the house. She belongs to the bridegroom. She's not bound by the old house anymore. Well, that's exactly where you are right now in this mystery. See, the bridegroom came to our house, to this house. Messiah came to this world. He came to your life. He proposed. You said, yes, you are now the kala. This is the time of your betrothal. The wedding day is coming, but you are now, you're still in the old house. You're in the old world. The old circumstances may be there. It may look the same, but, but you're no longer of it. You're the kala. You're in the house. You're not of it. You're not of your problem anymore. You're not of your situation, your circumstance, your past. You're of the new. You belong to the new life, to the bridegroom. You're not of the old life anymore. You don't belong to that bondage of sin anymore. You belong to the bridegroom. And so you're not of the old. You're free if you'll live it, if you'll believe it. You're free from your circumstance, free from your problem, from your past, from your sin, from the rest. Stop living by what's around you. Remember who you are and whose you are. Live for the bridegroom. The more betrothed you live, the more free you'll be from this world. For the kala is not bound by the house. Want more? Ask for the gift of the kala on CD. Now, how do we receive something so awesome? It's been hidden for 2,000 years. And it's the awesome Mystery of the Temple Doors on CD. It's your free gift. Plus, Sapphire's guaranteed to help you become strong, victorious in God. How do you get these things free? Easy. Just remember, Jesus is real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. So just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed with your free gifts, but call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join me in bringing salvation back to God's ancient nation, Israel, and the unreached peoples on five continents. It's amazing. The farthest way you'll ever touch the world. Through Shorey Radio, you can blanket the earth with the gospel. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. Touch the world. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct. The address is this. The Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. That's The Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. Well, until next time, this is John 
Jonathan Khan saying, Shalom Anachem, be free, my friend. Peace be to you in Messiah, Hechatan, the bridegroom. Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our Monday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Man, I went over on that first segment and I actually talked about things that I wasn't planning on really getting into. Just maybe I needed to say it. Maybe you needed to hear it. I hope that is the case. Let me just kind of tie a couple of things together and I want to move on to a few other stories. And some of my theme will have to be picked up again tomorrow. We live in a very strange time. You'd think with all the technology around us. You'd think with everything going for us, we would be a better off society. Sure, yeah, we have we have modern conveniences, refrigeration, indoor plumbing, air conditioning, and, and all that kind of stuff. So sure, we have that. We have we have connections of communications that did not exist a hundred years ago that's that's all that that's all good and can be used for good but like anything else it can be used for evil the internet is not evil it's what we do with the internet that is evil it's like anything in this world it can be used for good or it can be used for for evil and one of the things that really worries me is this newer mindset that that's appearing and it's been increasing gradually in my lifetime now this story out of the netherlands real quick netherlands land land grant government's proposal to seize up to 600 farms within a year by force if necessary why they want to do this because they want to control farming they want to change how farming is done to save the planet from global warming and climate change. Climate change that only exists in the evil minds of those that perpetuate the myth. I have looked at the data. I've listened to the reporters. I've listened to the breathless MSNBC and CNN people going, hurricanes are getting stronger and more frequent because of climate change and it's all man's fault and your SUV and cows and meat and everything else. And yet the facts don't add up. Facts can be a stubborn thing, especially when it goes against your narrative. The truth is hurricanes are not stronger Hurricanes are not more frequent. In the past 57 years, we've had fewer hurricanes than we had in the 50 years prior to that. And remember, in the past 45 years, we've had technology to find more hurricanes that were missed or tropical depressions and storms. We didn't have that ability in 1922. We barely had it in 1972. And now we have global satellites that gives us images of everything developing anywhere at any given point in time. And many storms that form and dissipate in the Atlantic 
never reaching land, never even getting halfway across, never used to be counted, but they are now. And so the numbers are still lower than they were before. So it's a lie. I said in the first segment of the program, people in the elite government class, they will lie. And they have no conscience. They have no compunction. They are so, they're so much into their ideology that the ends always justify the means. Climate change is nothing more. It is nothing more than a way to control you. We learn one thing during Corona. They can lock you down, keep you home, restrict what you can buy and where you can go and how you can live. And they are going to do it for climate change. Mark my words. You must stay home two days a week. You cannot travel. You need to have an electric car. You know, a hundred about 110 years ago, there was a car manufacturer in Detroit that were they were making an electric car. Back in 1910, 1911, 1912, the car could go up to 25 miles an hour and had a 100-mile range. Doesn't sound a whole lot better than the Chevrolet Bolt or whatever it was or the Volt or whatever which one they're making. And you could charge it at home. You should see the charger, though. I mean, this thing looks like a death trap with with exposed wiring and exposed fuses and one of those big bat handle switches and mercury vapor rectifier tubes. Charge it at home. But they knew the technology had so many limitations and so many drawbacks and so many problems, they stayed with the gasoline engine. Look, do I believe electric vehicles have a place? Sure I do. Do I believe that everybody in California should be forced to have one by 2035? Absolutely not, because there is no way in 12 years you're going to have an upgraded system to have sufficient electricity available, especially when you're committed to nothing but solar and wind, to power this. You're asking for something that can't be done. But it's all being done in the name of climate change. And those that are just believers in climate change and worship the earth are so deceived and given over to delusion they can no longer see the truth. So the Netherlands, they want to change farming. And and they want to basically speed up the process to to take farmers land in the Netherlands it's going to it'll happen here they want to decide what you can eat maybe it's going to be bugs yeah bugs are good protein crickets we'll just eat crickets get rid of that barbecue grill no more gasoline powered lawnmowers you're destroying the planet Yet this is a living planet, a tribute to a living God. I've heard all of this all my life, and it's all not been true. Every major prediction of disaster that should have occurred by now because of man-made climate whatever, whether it's freezing or warming or just change, 
every prediction that should have occurred by now has failed to ever materialize. And so what do they do now? Well, they just talk about something that'll happen in the year 2059 or the year 2300. Like 80 years from now. See, they, they, they've stopped making predictions that could happen in our lifetime. Why? Because, because they don't happen. They keep failing to come true. Yet people keep believing the lie. It goes back to Jeremiah 4.22. This is going to be the theme of this radio program. For my people are foolish. They do not know me. They are foolish children. They have no understanding. They are skillful at doing evil. But they do not know how to do good. Since 1970, we have 10 years left to save the planet. Been hearing it for 52 years. We have 10 years left or it's too late. 10 years left. Oceans are rising. So what do the elites do? They buy oceanfront property. Doesn't make any sense if you believe that in 10 years it's all going to be flooded. But no, they indoctrinate our children from the time that they enter preschool, if they can. Kindergarten, first, second, and third grade. Make them afraid that they're going to destroy the planet and kill all the cute polar bears by melting all the ice caps. And they keep making predictions that fail to materialize, yet they keep saying it louder and louder. I guess they believe if they scream a lie loud enough, enough people will fearfully believe it. And they're right. Look at history over the past hundred years. It's very true. That has actually happened. People believe the lie. And they no longer have the ability to even recognize the truth. It's going to be a bumpy ride over the next several years. A lot of hopes are being pinned here in the United States in just a matter of a few weeks with an election. I don't put out as much hope as many of you may do. I'm inclined to go with what the Bible teaches. Do not put your trust or your hope in princes or the sons of men. This year will be the 50th year I started voting in 1972, 50 years later, I'm still voting. And has voting fixed the world and this nation? No, the nation still continues to deteriorate. Its moral foundation keeps eroding. Its spiritual foundation is rejected and cursed upon and spat upon. The value of human life has been decimated. We have people openly telling you in the medical profession and politically, of course, that babies know in the womb if they're a trans child. We just need to decide early if they are and fix it at an early date. Maybe when they're two or three, they can tell you if they want to be a boy or girl. And with the with modern pharmaceuticals and medical practice, you heard what I said about them in, in the first half of the program. They'll take your money, your tax money, 
and they'll fix your kid or destroy him. This is the reprobate world that we're in. It's all lies. You know, in Australia, saw this story too, and, I, and I'll get into this one probably more tomorrow. Your soul or your job, you have to make a choice. Will your church membership cost you your job? And it's not a hypothetical question anymore. It just happened in Australia. The new chief executive of a major Australian sports franchise survived one day, one day. He was more than qualified for the job, but somebody noticed that he attended an evangelical church. And that was sufficient for people to scream that he be fired. We don't want Bible-believing Christians in the corporate world, even in a sports franchise. The hordes of hell want to cancel Christians. And you say, well, that's Australia. Or maybe that's England. Or maybe it always ends up here. It'll come to England and Canada, and it'll be here if it isn't already. Yeah, imagine trying to get a job in Lori Lightfoot's city hall in Chicago if you're known to be a Bible-believing church-attending Christian. You're going to have a hard time working your way up the ladder, so to speak. The canceling of Christians because of a church membership is not going to be limited to Australia. Now, maybe if you belong to some church that believes in global warming, transgenderism, and sexual fluidity, and every other sin that the Bible condemns that they celebrate openly, maybe that'll be all right for now. And here's what it comes down to, and I want you to think about this carefully. Are you willing to disavow your church for your job? and just kind of quietly and clandestinely go. There's an old hymn out there that goes, Jesus, shall it ever be that a mortal man's ashamed of thee? If you deny Jesus before men, Jesus will deny you before his Father. And I'll pick up on that tomorrow. If you believe in the mission and ministry of Truth to Ponder, we really could use your financial help to expand our shortwave outreach, our mailing address is Post Office Box 510. The city is Chilhowee, C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowee, Virginia. Zip code is 24319. 24-3-1-9. 24-3-1-9. And if you want a copy of the message I preached over the weekend, that if you heard the program then, let me know either by mail or email, and I'll, I'll make the effort to get one to you. I believe it's important that we have it. Until tomorrow at this time, may God richly bless you is my prayer. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.